Hi, this is Amber and welcome to today's podcast. My website is sacredspacehealing.org, that's sacredspacehealing.org. For those of you that don't know and are new to these podcasts, I am a Reiki master and teacher and a trained shamanic practitioner. I've been running my own healing practice since 2008 and these podcasts have been running since 2013. The website is sacredspacehealing.org. Um, first of all, thank you to everyone who tunes in and listens to these podcasts wherever you are in the world. Sometimes I get a little breakdown of um, the episodes and which are the most popular episodes and where they're being listened to. And so it's it's really amazing to kind of see the different cities in the world and the different places in the world. Um, so, so thank you and hello, <laughs> wherever you may be. Um, some of you have also uh, been in touch and asked how you can support these podcasts, which is really kind of you. And um, there is a donation button on the website. If you go to sacredspacehealing.org, if you click on the home button, there's a drop down menu and it says donations on it. And you can donate as little or as much as you like to um, to give thanks, I suppose, to pay it forward in terms of this work. All of the podcasts and YouTube clips are free. All of the blog posts are free. And it's a lot of content um, and, um, yeah, it takes up time and energy and it takes up time and energy to host these things, website servers and so on. All of this stuff costs um, on many levels. So um, any donations that you make go straight back into the work and just means that I can create more podcasts um, and get more of the work out there to reach more people. Um, also, thank you for all of you that have sent really lovely messages just um, feedbacking, if that's such a word, um, on uh, the podcasts and what they've meant to you and how they've enriched your lives. And thank you so much, because again, I just share uh, what feels right to share, um, given, you know, the, the situation, the current situation in the world or what I may be experiencing or trends that I notice in circles, workshops or one-to-one sessions. So the website is sacredspacehealing.org. Um, I do provide uh, one-to-one sessions some of you have asked about that my diary gets pretty booked up so if you are interested it's always a good idea to get in touch as soon as you feel that call and then we can try and find a date which may not be right away it could be weeks or months ahead of time so um so do bear that in mind as well if you're feeling called okay so today's podcast is around the theme of bullying um this is quite a a complex topic and I do have another podcast out there which is entitled are you the bad guy which is really looking at our roles in society and in our lives as victim and bully and how interchangeable these roles are that often the bully feels really victimized and it's that's the reason that that's the reason they justify their behavior because they're on the on the attack to defend themselves um and and where in our lives do we feel victimized and where in our lives do we feel we're justified in bullying and so on so i think we are obviously we're very we're multifaceted beings and we are able to experience all these archetypes but it came to me today that, that there is something very particular that happens in certain bullying relationships and that certain people often find that they are always playing the part of the victim they never really get cast as the bully or if they are playing the bully, it's not for long enough in their lives. And they tend to be the one that is on the receiving end of bullying, bullish behavior. And so this is just kind of um, to look at why that is and how we can start to break that pattern. 
So one of the underlying things that I found around bullying, both through my own personal experience and then working with students and clients, is a is a sense of self. So it's not it's about our sense of self in terms of boundaries. So how strong are our energetic, spiritual, emotional, and mental and physical boundaries? And um, well, how strong is our sense of self in the world? You know, are we the kind of person? that walks into a room and absorbs all the energy of a room? Or do we walk into a room and just want to blend in? Or do we walk into a room, sense what the energy is, maintain who we are, and not allow the energy around us to affect us in such a way that it takes us further away from who we are? So it's quite a balancing act because using that example, if we walk into a room, it's important that we're able to get on with the room to some extent for our survival. We may need to walk into that room for a work situation or a personal situation, a social situation. We may want to be in that room. We may not want to be in that room, but it's important that we are. And to in order for us to move forward in life, it's important that we find ways to handle situations where we find energies coming at us and we find those energies bombarding, bullish. Um, so I think one of the first questions to ask oneself is, you know, what what do I bring into a space, but also how do I feel when I walk into a space? Now, lots of people who are at the receiving end of bullying or find themselves in the role of victim will often say that they feel overwhelmed by other energies in a space in with other people on a one-to-one. It's like they absorb the energy of the other person or, the, or they kind of assimilate it. They almost become it. And, and both those are they're kind of equal in in a sense of self-erosion you know we either become the bully we either become the bad behavior or the bad behavior the bullying uh overwhelms us overtakes us and erodes our sense of self so we often see this in society you know that we we have those in society, in a community, in a group that want their will to be known. They want their way to be accepted. And people around such people will react in certain ways. So they'll either fight it, they'll appease and go along with it. So um, they will become immune to it, but they will go along along with it. Or they will assimilate it, i.e. they will become the bully. They will become the person that wants to impose their will on others. Or they will be so overtaken by the bully that they have no free will left. And we can see this in the world in which we live, right? We can see that the world in which we live, our group consciousness is made up like this, of those that are going to fight a system that they don't agree with, those that are too worn down by it to fight it. So their, their sense of will has been overcome. Those that have had their sense of will kind of taken over, so they've now become the very thing that they would never have been before. But it's a it's a form of survival. Um, and then those that that realise that um, there's something in their presence that they don't want to be overtaken by, but they appease it, and they keep their sense of self, but they appease it. Now, I think fighting it and keeping your sense of self are are one of the two strongest ways that we can manage a bully, whether that's a bullying government, a bullying ideology, um, or a physical bully, or an energetic bully. Um, those Those are two ways that we can manage ourselves in those situations. Now, the first 
to uh, fight it takes up a lot of energy. And often bullies thrive on that. They thrive on the fight. So it's something to bear in mind. And this is why we see political activists so often, well, any kind of activist burnout, is that it's eventually that fight means that we burn out. Because the bully is never going to back down, really. Not really. Like, we're not going to beat the bully by fighting them. They're always going to be one step ahead. That's the nature of the archetype of the bully. So then the second way is that we maintain our sense of self and we have a sense of neutrality towards the bully um, or we appease the bully. So we kind of go along, we laugh at jokes that maybe we shouldn't laugh at. We go along with policies, we go along with you know ways of being that we normally wouldn't go along with. But we maintain our sense of self and when we leave the room, we're still very clear on who we are. And I think a majority of people do that. You know, I think the majority of people in our world today do that. They appease powers that are more powerful than them. They appease institutions. They appease bosses and directors of companies and um, uh, uh, rulers of countries and so on. But But they would say they have a very strong sense of self. You know, they know who they are in their own home. They know what their moral compass is and so forth. And um, I think these are two interesting ways to survive the bully. Now, with the latter, there is a danger, just like with the former, that we burn out through just fighting something. With the latter, there's a danger that we appease and appease and appease for so long that we actually become apathetic. And I think we're seeing that in our world consciousness as well. So I think there's a third way to survive the bully, which is to hold a very strong sense of self to be aware of when we're being triggered, like why, when are we falling into appeasement? When are we falling into to fighting? And when are we falling into doing nothing? So again, freeze, fight or flight. When are we falling into those states with this bully? And uh, how strongly can we maintain our sense of self? And yet within maintaining that sense of self, how strongly can we continue to forge a life for ourselves and those around us that is completely disconnected from the bully, where we're not appeasing them, we're not fighting them, we're not frozen against them, we're not apathetic, we're actually actively creating something new. And this is, again, one of the things that we see, I I believe, in our global consciousness, which is that there's no point fighting a system that is mightier than us. We can't be beaten down by it or we've we've, we've lost the fight, our journey ends. If we appease it for too long, we somehow become apathetic. Um, And uh, therefore, our success lies in being able to forge something new, but not wasting our energy on fighting, uh, going into shock mode and freezing or, or running away from. And I believe our success, our spiritual success and our physical success lies in that way of being which is a third way of being, if you like. But let's look at the other ways. Let's look at why we would fight it, why we would run away from it, and why we would freeze. I think with bullying, what I've often found is that um, those that find themselves, again, in repeated patterns of bullying and being on the receiving end of it, will they will have a root cause for that, and it will be uh, something that's being triggered in them, a, a, a repeated ba- pattern of behavior. A repeated pattern of how they see the world and how they see themselves selves in the world. So it comes back to sense of self. So we've, we've looked at boundaries, but it also comes back to self-worth. 
self-knowing, self-love, self-respect. And often that's to do with a primary, by primary I mean most important relationship that has uh, configured someone to have this sense of self that can be easily tuned into the frequency of bully. Now the most common reason for this is bullying behavior in childhood, whether that be being bullied in the playground or bullied by one's siblings or bullied by parents. I think the mark that leaves its its deepest trace is that of being bullied by one's primary caregivers, whether they're, they are birth parents or foster parents or being in a home or whoever took care of us when we were at our youngest. And the reason behind this is that when we're children, as we know, our parents, our primary caregivers are our gods. And so you know, what they say we believe about the world. If they tell us that the world is flat, we believe it. If they tell us that the world is round, we believe it. If they tell us that we are ugly, that we're unlovable, that we're bad, we believe it. It's quite interesting with, with, with pets, for example, especially with dogs. You know, they say dogs have the intelligence of a three-year-old child. And dogs are incredible. Their sense of empathy and their ability to... Um, to, to pick things up, to learn, to be our companion, to love us unconditionally is incredible. But if you say to a dog, bad dog, or if you punish a dog, or if you repeatedly tell them that they've done something wrong, you'll watch the whole demeanour of a dog change. Now, some people say dogs can't understand language. What they're responding to is the frequency of your voice or the tone of your voice. Um, but what they're responding to is the energy of what you're giving to them, right? So if you say to a dog, bad dog, and you say that repeatedly. I mean, who would do this? Only someone very cruel would do this. But if you were to do this to a dog all day long, by the end of the do- by the end of the day, you would have a dog that was miserable, that didn't that that felt unloved, that felt rejected, that might start playing up, or that might go into a, a real state of depression. Because dogs feel it acutely when love is taken away from them, and because they are so reliant, like a child, on their primary caregiver when their primary caregiver is not giving them care, they feel completely lost, bereft, scared, abandoned, and are helpless for food, for nourishment, for warmth, for everything, as we are as children. You will notice in the demeanour of a dog that they'll go from kind of being happy and, and playful to the moment that frequency comes in of you're a bad dog, you've done something wrong, they their whole posture changes, their, their, the way they look at you changes, everything changes because they're feeling that frequency that they're not good enough. Now, over time, that will give you a dog that is uh, sick in some way, that is either playing out or that is lethargic or that develops health problems or just a very unhappy dog. And you'll see it very strongly. And we see that with children as well, you know. There's, there is no such thing as bad children or bad pets, you know. So you'll see it in kids who don't socialize very well or play up or um, have health issues. There's There's usually a reason behind it. And it will be what their primary caregivers are giving them. So if our primary caregivers are telling us that we're bad, that we're unlovable, that we're not beautiful, that we're stupid, that we're cursed, that we're, we're a mistake, that we ruin their life, we're going to grow up with these belief systems. 
And all a bully has to do is tap into that weakness and press it. I mean, it doesn't take a lot of skill. Bullying doesn't take skill. Bullying takes the ability to be able to see a weakness in another and to use it for our own advantage, callously and with cruelty. Um, We all, I believe, have the knowing to see the vulnerabilities in others. We can see what people's weak points are, what their insecurities are. And if we have any kind of knowing, any kind of um, seership or any kind of uh, empathy, we can feel that quite acutely the moment someone walks into a room and we meet them. Um, We can also learn these things. These are skills that psychologists learn and we can learn to read body language and so on. And so we can have a knowing of what someone's insecurities are, what their vulnerabilities are the moment we meet them. And what sets a bully apart is that they will use those vulnerabilities to gain power over their victim. Um, And so our vulnerabilities, if untended to, if not healed, if not looked at, can become our Achilles heel. Now, in a society where we are operating from the heart and a place of consciousness, uh, elevated consciousness and open communication, and where we are, where we're living an elevated existence, you know, where we're in a higher level of consciousness, where we're connected to our higher selves, where we have a spiritual practice, we would not look at other people's insecurities and use them for our own advantage. In fact, it would allow our hearts to open even more in compassion, and we would reach out even more and extend even more love to this person that we see in front of us, who has a wound in them that we can understand and we can see. And often with the bully, they can really understand the wound that they're tapping into because it lies in them as well. But they don't want to look at it in themselves and therefore they certainly don't want to offer compassion to another who has that wound. They use it against them so they can feel more powerful and not have to look at their own wounds. But in an, our elevated, in our highest self state, we wouldn't do that. We would offer compassion and love and understanding and help another to grow. So our wounds aren't anything we need be ashamed of. And it's not that it's our fault. You know, sometimes we hear this. We hear this in very immature understandings around karma, but also just kind of immature understandings around victimhood. Um, You know, karma isn't I was bad in a past life, so now bad things happen to me. Like, karma doesn't work that way. Um, Karma is multi-layered. We are multi-dimensional beings. Past, present and future lives are happening all at the same time. We have the ability to choose the life that we want. We have the ability to construct the life that we want. But it takes a tenacity to make the, the most appropriate, highest level choices in any given moment in thought in word and in action. And sometimes we don't. Sometimes we act out of woundedness. Sometimes we act out of habit. Um, And sometimes we act out of ignorance. So it's not that we're being bullied because we were a bully in a past life. And it's not that we're being bullied because there's something wrong with us and we better just, you know, get on with it and man up and don't have these wounds from the past. It's that we're, as a consciousness, not living in an elevated state um, of a higher consciousness so we haven't got to that place yet where we're, we're not trying to tear chunks out of each other once we get to that place it won't really matter that we have wounds but our wounds are what is creating the scenario where we find ourselves playing the role of victim and they are often wounds in childhood and what tends to happen is 
with people who've got those wounds from childhood is they go in those two directions and say, well, it's happening to me because I'm a bad person. Sometimes that's justified, you know, spiritually under the term karma. It's happening to me because I deserve it. And I deserve it because my my parents, my primary caregivers told me that I deserved it. And these two things keep someone locked in the state of victimhood because what they end up doing is turning it back on themselves and saying, well, how can I fix myself? How can I change myself? Do I need to do a workshop? Do I need to go to a healing? Do I need to be more like this? When actually that's not the issue. Often what it takes to put an end to that repeating pattern is to walk away or say enough, is to stand up for ourselves. And to those that have been a victim most of their lives, standing up for themselves feels like they're turning into a bully. They fear that they're going to turn into the very aggressor that they've been at the receiving end of. And so that's why they don't step into that role, because they fear if I stand up for myself, if I shout, if I lose my temper, I'll turn into the very people that have abused me. And it keeps them locked in a state of victimhood. But I feel that we, our healing isn't complete until we do that, that something in the physical world, until we say enough. So until we don't return that text message from that toxic person that, that always tries to you know, pull us into their web only to let us down again. It doesn't end until we say no to that invite that we don't want to go to. It doesn't end until we turn around to that person who insults us and say, well, that was a very hurtful thing. Why did you say that? It doesn't end until we say, no, don't do that to the person that is sitting too close to us on the tube or the boss that is mean to us or the co-worker that is bitching about us or whatever the scenarios are for you. It doesn't end until we say no. And sometimes we have to keep saying no. And um, what tends to happen is, and I hear this with clients, is that uh, clients and students will say, well, I have said no. You know, I'm going through, you know, I've been saying no for the last three months, the last six months, and it goes against the grain of who I am because, I, you know, I'm an open-hearted person that wants to say yes, but we'll keep getting tested. We'll keep getting tested until it's second nature, until we no longer feel that it's a test. We'll keep getting tested by a higher power, by our higher selves, however you want to look at it. Uh, I've I've known a lot of bullies in my life. Um, when I was at at school when I was a child I'd, I'd known bullies in the playground who made my life hell you know and a lot of it I've talked about this in other podcasts was it was it was pure racism it was because I was the only brown girl in a in a school often um and it was horrible um I've known bullying in the workplace uh sometimes just pure jealousy you know people thinking that you're out to take something from them or women thinking that you're out to steal their their position as queen bee or men thinking that you're out to play them in some way or you're playing hard to get I mean all this nonsense that we all put up with I've experienced a lot of that and most of the time um I've internalized it I've just kind of you know I've gone along with it I've tried to appease it or sometimes I've just put up with it but one of the things I very rare rarely did in the early days was ever say no don't do that because I grew up in a very bullying household where I was bullied by my parents in many ways and so I grew up with that kind of innate programming in me that that's who I was I was the person that was at the receiving end of cruel comments of um, of coldness and then that becomes our template and so when we experience that in later life we don't recognize it 
as being wrong, we recognize it as being familiar. Um, I remember meeting years ago someone that I really liked and um, he was very on off with me, very hot and cold. And that was a dynamic I was very used to because I'd had that in my childhood. And looking back on this this period of my life with this person, um, I realized years later when I was out of the situation that he never paid me a compliment. Um, he never, he, he, yeah, he never paid me a compliment. Um, he was often inconsistent in his behavior. But the, the things that he did, the, the, the little ways that he had of putting me down, you know, kind of putting down the way I looked or um, not respecting the things that I cared about, um, putting down my creativity, all of these things, when they were happening, I never stood up and said, don't say that or don't do that. I just kind of went along with it. Not to say that I didn't feel hurt. I felt incredibly hurt, but I internalized it and just went along with it. And years later, as I looked back over this experience in my life and wondered, you know, why did I ever put up with someone who treated me this way? I realized that the reason I did it was because that's what I'd always known. You know, that's exactly how my parents were with me. Um, if I achieved something, it wasn't good enough. If, um, if I created something, it wasn't good enough. There was always something that wasn't quite right about me. And so I spent my life as a child, as a teenager, as a young woman, trying to make myself the best that I could be overachieving because I was making up for that lack of care in those early years. And it meant that when I later on in my life met someone who replicated the behavior of my parents, I didn't question it. I didn't stand up for myself. I didn't say, don't do that. Now, years later, and this, you know, this is years on now, I'm not going to tell you I'm an, an expert or a master in standing up for myself, but I have a much better, clearer sense of what is a crossing of my boundaries, of what is disrespectful, of what doesn't feel loving. And I know this because I start to feel it as a really strong sense of injustice in me. I get really angry, I get very upset, and I can't always verbalize why I'm feeling that angry or that upset, but that feeling tells me that somewhere at my core, I know that this person or this situation is not loving, is not good for me. It's actually a replication, um, a duplication of scenarios from my childhood. And I'm getting better and better, and over the years have gotten better and better at recognizing when that comes up in me. And understanding that that's my indicator to tell me to get as far away as possible from this person or these people or this situation as I can. And then the opposite of that is that we have another feeling. Sometimes we have a feeling of peace or this is too easy or a, a feeling of safety. And it starts to feel unfamiliar. We doubt it because we may not have experienced it as children. And yet that's the feeling to move closer and closer towards. I think with bullying also one of the things for us to recognize is where in our lives and where in our relationship with ourselves are we bullies to ourselves meaning do we push ourselves to the point of exhaustion do we deny ourselves self-care do we say nasty bullying things to ourselves rather than words of compassion have we created spaces of beauty and peace and tranquility in our lives, whether it's in our homes or with our friendships or our deep, close relationships? Do we have time in our lives where we're nourishing and nurturing ourselves 
the way our primary caregivers would have done with us had they been healthier? And I think that's a really, really important question to ask ourselves whenever we find ourselves at the receiving end of bullying, is to go back to how can I start to balance this out in my life where I have control over the outcome? And really, that is in our relationship with ourselves and in self-care. I think in terms of our relationship with the world and how we handle bullies, it also determines the course that we take in life and the difference that we can make in this world. If our wounds are getting in the way, we can't forge something new, which is what the world so desperately needs right now. Some of the most pioneering people, the the creatives, the artists, the thinkers, the dreamers, the architects, on every level, some of the most pioneering people will often have some of the deepest wounds that get in the way of fulfilling their life purpose. I often see this with clients and that's why I love the Life Purpose Program so much because it marries the core wound work with what are you here to do. And as we heal and remedy those wounds in us, we get better placed to forge something new, which is what the world so desperately needs right now. The world does not need more people who just nod and smile and laugh along at a bully. The world does not need more people that retreat into their shell and cry and think it's their fault because it's bad karma or they're bad people or this is the sins of the ancestors being played out on us. The world does not need more people that recognize the bully and yet do nothing because they want an easy life. And they go home to their family and everything's safe and secure and lovely. And yes, they have a nice moral compass with their community. And yet the world is not changing. They are living in a bubble. The world needs more people that will hold themselves strong against the tirade of a bully. And will have the foresight and the strength and the capability and the community to build something new away from the bully and in so doing take power away from the bully simply by moving away from the bully. And often the people that are able to do that, to go ahead and forge something new, are struggling to do that because their own wounds keep getting triggered in in the face of the bully. And so if any of this resonates with you, I would say that step one is to recognize what those triggers are, where they have come from and why they are there. The next step is to seek help in addressing those, whether you do that energetically or with a talking therapist. I mean, I would say do it in a combination of ways to speed things up. And the third step is to have a huge amount of compassion and love towards yourself and to make sure that that bully is not living anywhere in your life, in your home, in your mind, anywhere in your inner circle. Allow that bully to be out there in the world if they have to right now, but do not allow them into your inner circle, into that sacred space that is you. 
if the life purpose work calls to you, please do have a look um, on the website. Uh, that actually wasn't the purpose of this podcast, but it's kind of flowed in that direction. Have a look at the website, sacredspacehealing.org. You know, the life purpose work is about this very thing. I think that's why I love it so much. It's about how can we tend to our wounds so we no longer are at the mercy of the bully, in inverted commas. And once we're no longer at the mercy of the bully, we can do whatever we want. We can create whatever we want. And we can create heaven on earth because it lies within all of us. It lies within the bully as well. (laughs) And that's another podcast of how they're helping us. And, you know, the bully needs their own help. But this is about how we cannot be at the mercy of the bully. The website is sacredspacehealing.org. If there are any observations that you wish to share along the way, please do send me an email. The email address is on the website. It's amber at sacredspacehealing.org. Wherever you may be on your journey, I wish you much love and joy and peace. Until the next time, so it is and so it shall be.